Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. So, two weeks ago, we started talking about the rich young ruler, and we had Mother's Day, and now we're going to finish up with the rich young ruler as we go through the book of Mark. I think we will finish up the book of Mark by the end of the year, Lord willing. Mark chapter 10, we are going to actually start reading from verse 23, and we are going to go through verse 31. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray over God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We approach it this morning with humility and we approach it, Lord, with excitement because your word brings life. And we pray this morning that the life-giving nutrients we need from your word, that we would have them, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying. God, we've heard this before. So I pray you would penetrate our callous, we already know kind of attitude. And Lord, you would help all of us to see what the Spirit's saying this morning, and I pray, Lord, that I would be faithful in communicating it by your help and your grace. Lord, we thank you for all of it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So let's review, since it's been a little bit, uh, we're skipping we're skipping a, uh, a week because of Mother's Day. Let's review what we've already discussed about the rich young ruler. Uh, number one, we talked about that the rich young ruler was sincere, and we talked about that last time because he ran and he knelt before Jesus. And he actually used the word good teacher. And we talked about how in Jewish culture you did not frequently call anybody else good, which is why Jesus said, why are you calling me good? That's not a reflection on his deity. That is a reflection on, I know what you're doing, rich young ruler. You, you think you're good. You recognize me as good. You're hoping to gather some information on how to get into eternal life. We found out that he kept the law in as much as it didn't really affect his heart towards God. In other words, he did what a lot of Christians can do today. He was keeping, and Jesus, we talked about the first table of the law and the second table of the law, first table of the law, the first three commandments that deal specifically with your heart condition towards God. And then the latter half of the law of the Ten Commandments are those commandments that deal with 
how you interact with other people. So God sums up the whole law, and Jesus said, uh, sums it up to love your neighbor as yourself and the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Well, that is encapsulating the entire Ten Commandments. So he was really good at the part of, I'm going to do the things I need to do in the law that relate to my neighbor and the stuff that everybody can see. But the heart and where it really belongs, only God knows where that's at. And that is expressed in loving him with all of your heart. So Jesus, knowing that, challenged him and said, that's right, you've done all these things. Here's the thing you lack. Sell everything you've got and come follow me. That exposed where the rich young ruler was, though he was sincere. Remember, Jesus said in the sermon, when we talked about it two weeks ago, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Think, I think Jesus was seeing and recognizing this sincerity, but he was holding back. He was not wholly surrendered, as we sang. And so Jesus pinpoints that issue, exposes it, and says, this is what you need to do. And he goes away sorrowful. That's verse 22. For he had great possessions. Now, let me read you something, William Lane, the commentary uh, that I've really enjoyed as we've been studying this. He says, the conclusion to the interview with Jesus indicates that in the case of this man, the law had not yet fulfilled its function. For its historical task is to bring man's satisfaction with the world to an end and to quicken within him a thirst for righteousness and life. In other words, the point of the law is to get us to where our hearts are in tune with God, but it was really easy just to do the law to say that you did it and everybody else knows that you did it, which is how a lot of Christians live. I'm not really... Uh, doing what I'm doing because I love God or I fear God. I'm doing what I'm doing so Glenn knows what I'm doing. Right? I mean, isn't... Okay, we're all guilty of this to a certain degree. But the fear of man in our culture is what causes people to say, I got to make sure that Rob knows that I'm righteous and holy. Which is why as the culture that we live in begins to disintegrate, and the Christian values disappear, guess what also disappears? The cultural importance of you making sure that other people know you're living according to God's Word. Does that make sense? That's why people leave the church, because they're not held by a love for God. They're held by something in the culture. And as the culture moves away from Christian roots, then there's no longer any pressure to live like a Christian. You see what I'm getting at? In other words... You and I as Christians need to know God and love God, not, okay, Homer's watching. I'm going to make sure that I'm living like a Christian. Okay. Here we go, verse 23. Has this experience. The guy walks away. The disciples are all there. As he rides off into the sunset, Jesus turns to them and says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now look, what I want to look at in verse 23 through verse 26 is specifically the reaction that the disciples give. The disciples were amazed at his words. 
So Jesus makes it worse. This frequently happens in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me just real quick say, when I was growing up, and you probably heard this too, that what this is supposedly supposed to mean is that the gates around the city had different names, and at night there was a gate called the eye of the needle, it was the smallest one, and if you came in late, the camel had to get down on its knees and scooch in. How many of you heard that story? It's not true. <laughs> it's not true. It, it, that was a ninth century uh, thing that got added in, but it preaches good because you say, and the rich have to get on their knees. And you, I mean, it's a really, I mean, it's a good sermon device, but that is not what actually is being said. Jesus is literally meaning the eye of a needle. Everybody knows what that is. I tried to thread as my eyesight changes. I tried to thread a needle the other day to sew a button, and uh, that is a skill that uh, requires glasses and maybe a magnifying glass. And it looks like it's going through, but it's not. Okay, so Jesus is saying it it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, it's impossible. Look at verse 26. They were exceedingly astonished. So in, in verse 24, they're amazed. And in verse 26, they are exceedingly astonished. The question is, why are they amazed and why are they exceedingly astonished at the idea, well, in verse 26 really sums up what they're feeling, then who can be saved? Part of, part of my question, and you should ask questions as you read the Bible, part of my question here is, were all the disciples rich? Because Jesus seems to just be targeting the rich people. Were, were they? Well, Matthew was a tax collector, so he probably had some money. Jesus and Andrew were fishermen, and John and James, they were fishermen, so they might have been maybe what we would call middle class, but were all of them wealthy? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's what prompts them to say that. I think that the idea of what Jesus is communicating shook them, completely shook them. And so let's talk about what might have shook them. Uh, Daryl, can you bring up Job chapter 1, verse 10? We're going to go through a couple of these. I uh, just want to read a couple of verses. This is when Satan goes before God and asks for Job. And this is what he says. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? On every side you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Let's go to Job 42.10. And the, this is at the end. Of Job. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, which he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Let's go to uh, Psalm 128. This is verses uh, 1 through 2. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. 
in the next verse, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10. There's a reason we're doing this. For the look on their faces... Okay, that's verse 9. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Do you know how many verses like this in the Old Testament there are? We could be here for the rest of the afternoon reading verses like this. Where God says that your obedience and your righteousness and your following of my precepts and my statutes will result in blessing. It is all over the Old Testament. Abraham, exceedingly wealthy. Job, exceedingly wealthy. Then something horrible. And then exceedingly wealthy again. In the, in the New Testament, Barnabas sold property that he had and laid it at the disciples' feet. We know the region where he owned property would have made him very wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, remember him, wealthy. He's the one that donated the tomb for the burial of Jesus. There's wealthy people mentioned all throughout the Bible. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because in the mindset of first century Jewish disciples that are there with Jesus, the idea is wealth equals God's favor. And they're not entirely wrong. Okay? They're not entirely wrong. But like anything that is right, there, there, there is a danger in over-leaning over in the direction, especially if it's wealth. So here, here's, what, um, here's what I think causes the shock. Because what I want to answer the question is, why in the world is their reaction, who can be saved if it's hard for wealthy people to get into heaven? That's the, that's the issue. Because in their mind, number one, Wealthy people are blessed by God. So how are you telling us, Jesus? We just read a bunch of verses. We could read a bunch more. How are you telling us then that it's going to be hard for wealthy people to get into heaven? Because, go, to, go ahead to Deuteronomy chapter 15, Daryl. Because there's another step in the, in the mindset that comes from the law, and this is right out of Deuteronomy. I want to read these verses about how God tells people to deal with the poor. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye looked grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. Verse, we'll do verse 11 too. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, 
to the needy and to the poor in your land. Now that'd make a great sermon all by itself, right? And it does make a great sermon all by itself. It's actually self-explanatory. But this is a part of the Jewish life lived. So we've got two things going on. To be wealthy is to be blessed by God. And you are supposed to give to the poor. If I've got wealth, I can give to the poor. Right? That's true. Everything I'm telling you is true. You guys are waiting for like the trick, right? Like there's some kind of trick. It's not really a trick. It's human nature. There were, there were three pillars of Jewish piety. That's a fancy way of saying, here's how we're going to live as holy Jewish men and women honoring God. They did three things, almsgiving, fasting, and prayer. That's a theme that comes up a lot in Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. And how did the Pharisees do it? How did they give thanks to God? According to Jesus, they did on the street corner so that you could see it. How did they fast? They moaned and cried. <laughs> I'm fasting. So that you would know it. How did they give their alms? Which would have been in the Jewish uh, temple and you would come up to the front and drop it in and it made a noise when it clinked. Remember the tale, not the tale, the, the story that Jesus, uh, where he is dealing with the widow and her two mites and everybody else. And remember what Jesus says about that? This woman gave from her from what she didn't have, but these people are just giving for a show. So let's follow the mindset then that causes the shock. Wealth is a sign of the blessing of God. Giving to the poor is something that God wants. And ooh, culturally, if I give to the poor out of my wealth, even though it doesn't really, it's not that big of a deal for me. I've got plenty. If I give to the poor, now I get the benefit of you knowing that I give to the poor. And by the time we get into the first century, we see that that is exactly what's happens among exactly what has happened amongst the richest and the most prestigious among them. They want recognition, but their recognition is tied into something that is true. This is where Christian stuff gets complex because you can be doing right things from a wrong heart. How in the world do you figure that out? The Holy Spirit convicts us is how we figure that out through the Word of God. It is a sword that cuts to the intentions of the heart. But here, Jesus in the rich young ruler, the reason the disciples are reacting the way that they're acting is they viewed themselves wealthy, blessed by God, giving, that's what God wants us to do, but when I do it, I earn God's favor and the approval of man. All of them are in the system. They live in this religious community. This is the way that they think. So when Jesus 
turns away from the rich young ruler and says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This is not a sermon to be preached against Elon Musk and billionaires in the world. That's what we want it to be. This is a sermon for every single one of us because the fishermen were creeped out by it. Because all of them were in a mindset of, this is the way it's supposed to work. I have, out of what I get from God, and I work hard, and He blesses me, which is true, and I'm supposed to give to the poor, which is true. I give stuff back, and, and God blesses me more, and I earn His favor. I earn it. It's mine. I have literally paid for it. So Jesus says, it's going to be hard. In fact, let me give you an example. Camel can go through the eye of a needle literally easier than someone like this who is thinking like that, wealthy, and I'm earning something with God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what prompts them to be exceedingly astonished. That's what prompts them to be amazed at his words. That's what prompts them to say, who can be saved then? Because that's what we're all here trying to do, right? Work hard, get ahead, be blessed by God, do the right things, do the right stuff. In other words, I'm a pretty good person. I deserve the kingdom of God. I deserve it. But they believe Jesus. So Jesus' words are really like a sledgehammer against the culture that thought a certain way. And what really makes it difficult to parse this out is that it's not like they're wrong. God does bless hard work. God does bless the righteous. You can't open your Old Testament in particular and not find it. He does. Now, in his sovereign purposes, there's also stories like Job where he loses it all. And then he got it all back. But the principle still stands that if you work hard and you do what is right and you live righteously and you honor God and you honor the king and you do the right things, in general, as a principle, there is a blessing to that. Right? I would venture to say that the reason America has been as wonderful as it's been for most of its history in terms of its prosperity is everybody works their tail off. In France, they get like 16 weeks of vacation. Completely unacceptable. Some of you in here would feel guilty for a two-week vacation, right? You wouldn't even be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I'm not saying that's entirely healthy. Just saying, we work our tails off. But it can become an idol. It's just That's another sermon. <laughs> it can become an idol. I work 80 hours a week, dead at 47. So, you know, there's that's another sermon. Sorry. Look at um, what Jesus did when he calls out the rich young ruler to sell everything, he exposes that it's not just the wealth that's the issue, it was his heart. 
He wanted to be able just to continue to live and do all the right things the right way and receive what, what he felt was due him. And instead, Jesus says, I recognize that your heart actually belongs to money. And that's why the rich young ruler left, sorrowful. But Jesus says something in verse 27. We'll just move along here. When they say, who then can be saved? Because in their minds, they're thinking, we're doing all the right things. Surely that equals salvation. Jesus says, with man it is impossible. Now, I want you to think about this. Man cannot save himself. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. His response, Jesus' response, to the disciples' question, who can be saved, is this. Well, you're not going to save yourself. You're born dead in sin. God is going to save you. By the way, the vehicle of that salvation is me here on the earth. I'm headed to the cross. Peter comes through in the clutch. Peter said in verse 28, See, we've left everything and followed you. It's, it's like you can almost see Peter. <laughs> Just So Peter, it, his, his lightning quick mind did not even hesitate after Jesus gives this explanation that it's impossible for man to be saved because they're all freaked out over what Jesus said. And it's impossible for man to, to save himself, but with God, it's, everything's possible. Peter's still operating under the mindset of... Uh, Okay, well, he just told the rich young ruler to sell everything, and that's why he's not going to make it. We've left everything to follow you. But I don't think it's entirely wrong, because Jesus does not rebuke him. I'm laughing. Um, but Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus actually affirms Peter. Look at, look at the next two verses. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus affirms that Peter is doing the right thing. Peter did have a wife. We know that because Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Peter has a wife, and he has left her behind, not divorced, but he is out here on the road with Jesus in this ministry, and he's given up being married temporarily. He's, he's, he is out doing the ministry with Jesus, and he's left behind fish, fishing, and he's left behind his livelihood, and he's He's following Jesus, and, and that's why he says, Lord, we've left everything behind to follow you. Look, at, look closely at how Jesus says this. He says that there is in this life, for those who have left everything behind, 
in this life, there is a hundredfold return. Now, if you turn on TBN today, you will hear somebody mention hundredfold return. And it will be done in such a way that it means if you give into my offering, if you give into my ministry, there's a hundredfold return coming your way. There's a thousand people that need to give a thousand dollars, and so on and so forth. We've all seen that silliness. That is not what Jesus is talking about. And here's one of the reasons I know that's not what he's talking about, because um, if that if you're thinking that way, verse thirty, he will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses. Well, I would love to have a hundredfold return on my house, right? Hundred. 100% increase in the equity in my home or just 100 new houses? Okay, so far, so good. And and brothers, my mom is not having any more children. So I don't know how God's going to pull that off, but he could maybe. And sisters, and here's how we know for a fact that is not what he's saying. And mothers, you can't have more than one. What What is Jesus saying? We'll come back to that. Here's something else he says. In the midst of this, really, okay, that's exciting, hundredfold. He says with persecutions. Okay, well, I'd like for that not to be in there. If we could cut that part out, that would be great. But it's there. If you're going to follow Jesus and preach the gospel, and live the gospel, you're going to have persecutions. And, in the age to come, eternal life. So let's go back to the one that directly relates to this idea that we're really even talking about here with wealth. When Jesus says that you will receive now in this life a 100-fold return, on houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. It is not material that he's talking about for you as an individual. He is talking about the fact that when you become a Christian and follow Jesus and become committed to the gospel, you are now a part of of a larger group called the church. How else do I get hundredfold brothers and sisters and mothers? It's because I am now in the church, in the body of Christ. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And that makes little sense to us. But if you're in the Middle East today and you're in Iraq in a village and you become a Christian and you're a 17-year-old girl and you've been looking at Christian TikTok or YouTube or a missionary came through and you heard it and your heart was captured by the gospel and you profess faith in Christ, do you know what happens to you? If they if they don't, depending on the, the sect that they're in, 
you're disowned. You no longer have a family. You lose everything. You lose all security. The only hope that that person has is that there's a body of Christ that will take them in. Throughout church history, this has been a lot more true in a lot more communities, in a lot more places than it makes sense to us now in a sort of Christian nation. But this is an encouraging portion of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you give up your family for me, if you leave everything behind for me, I promise you in this life, you're going to have brothers and sisters and mothers Notice he doesn't say fathers, but he did say fathers in verse 29. Because there is a heavenly father that you are united under in the body of Christ, and you have also houses and children and lands. Because in these communities, of when there is persecution, when you are following Christ, we are interdependent upon one another. And so our resources are for one another. So the storehouse doesn't just become, oh, okay, we're opulent Americans, we've got more than we need, I'll dedicate a little bit of time, makes me feel good. Instead, what happens if there's an economic crash? You can't buy food at the grocery store, which is, for the first time in my life, an actual semi-weird reality. What happens to the community of faith? Let me tell you what should happen. We get on the phone, we get close to each other and say, I've got some potatoes. I've got shelter. I've got baby food. I can, you can stay at my house because they kicked you out of yours. That's what is supposed to happen in a Christian community. Do you need help? I'm here to help. Do you need support? I'm here to support. Jesus is telling us what the church is going to look like. Read the book of Acts. This is what the book of Acts looked like. And remember, when we started the book of Mark, we talked about this was probably written to the Roman church that was hiding underground in persecution. You don't think that they read this and said, oh my gosh, that's right. This is right. Because if it wasn't for the church, I wouldn't survive. Now, I know that's hard for us to think, but that is the level of support and community that the church really, really is united under Christ supposed to be. Now, when we've all got more than enough, we can be support for one another in a lot of other ways, and we do. I love, I don't want to embarrass her, but I love the number of people that I've heard tell me how much they appreciate Janet. In this church, because Janet has years of wisdom, so many ladies have just said, gosh, I just like talking to Janet, asking her questions, asking her opinion. That, that is super important and it's biblical. It's the way it, it's supposed to be this way. And men that get together and banded and people that can talk and help each other and support each other. That is something that we can do now. But what happens if things get worse? Jesus is telling us as a part of the promise that in this life, 
not just in heaven, but in this life, you're going to have brothers and sisters and mothers. You're going to have children and lands. Meaning some of you will have stuff and some of you won't. Like Barnabas selling his land for the sake of the Christian community. And that's why he threw in there with persecutions, I believe. Because that was going to be part and parcel of the Christian experience. We've not experienced that much in our church or in our culture or in this country because it has been a blessed nation. But, and I don't mean to be gloomy, but things ain't the same. The view of the culture towards the church is not the same. Not even close. And so part of my sermon is for maybe 20 years from now. When we need each other in a deep way. Some people long for that deep connection now. We can have it in Christ. When we start seeing that church is not and God is not just this side thing, but that God is the center of our life. And that means the people of God are priority. And obviously the, the final thing Jesus says is, you give up your life, you give up everything you have to follow me, and for the sake of the gospel, you're going to have eternal life. Verse 31, famous multiple times in this gospel, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So it's kind of hard to figure out exactly why Jesus says that at the end of this, I am venturing to say that he's cautioning Peter in verse 28. He didn't rebuke him, but I think he's cautioning him and saying, Peter, I know, you left everything to follow me. I, I know, and you're right. And he gives us these awesome promises. But then he says, remember, the first will be last and last first. In other words, the way the kingdom works is what we value what we put uh, as important and who we value and who is important is not the way that God values. So, watch out. Remember that. Humility. Let's recap. We have to trust in God alone. Not wealth or how well we are doing all the right things. We're not saved by our works. We should use our wealth for the kingdom of God. We should not say that wealth is inherently evil. But it's dangerous. And we should treat it as such. We should enjoy richly what God has given us. But we should be cautious of the pursuit of wealth because it's consuming. Recognize only God can save. You cannot earn your way to heaven by doing right things. In Christ, you are going to gain the fellowship and support of the church. Hundredfold. 
whatever you've left behind, you get back and then some in the church with some persecutions. And then ultimately, following Jesus obviously, blessedly, wonderfully means we inherit and receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would land in our heart, that it would produce change, that we would not get caught spinning our wheels trying to earn your favor, trying to prove to the rest of the world how Christian we are. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful followers and servants of Christ that you would empower us to do that, and that we would begin to view each other, Lord, as the body and how important we are to each other. And the gifts you've given us are meant to minister to each other. And the wealth you've given some of us is meant to minister to each other. And the encouraging hearts and the people prone to pray, Lord, it's for each other, and it's for your glory, it's for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, I, I pray we would see things differently, not look so much to ourself and what we're doing. Lord, we give you glory. We thank you for the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that we can't save ourselves, but you are the Savior, and we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, give us grace this week to do all that we should do. And Lord, help us remember that it's your work that's working in us doing it. Lord, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, you're officially dismissed. And remember, there is a picnic after the service next Sunday. <laughs>